Thanks very much for reading for us, Marie. Nice to have you back from Tenerife. Um, our, question, our question this morning is, um, how can we meet with God? Have I switched it off? Hello, there we go. There we are. Um, our question this morning is, how can we meet with God? Um, we live, I think, in a... Church attendance is going down in the UK, um, but it's, we don't live in a world where people have actually turned their backs on God. I think we live in a world where more and more people are kind of thinking that there is some kind of spiritual thing um, out there. Um, and people kind of want a religious experience. They want to meet with God. I've got a picture on the screen. I don't know if you've heard about this. This is champing. Um, you've probably heard of glamping. Glamping is like glamorous camping. Well, here is champing, camping in a church. Um, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? But last year, over 1,500 people slept overnight um, in a church building. They particularly seek out like ancient churches, beautiful churches, because they're kind of seeking some kind of spiritual experience. <clears throat> I don't think we'll be renting out our hall anytime soon for that. But um, one lady wrote this. She said this. I'll never forget waking up in the stillness as the light streamed in through the stained glass windows. It was so peaceful. Well, I don't know what it is for you. You've probably never done champing. But I suppose there are ways that we want to kind of meet with God. Um, how do you kind of seek to try and meet with God? Maybe it's through nature. You know, you want to contact the transcendent, maybe through a wonderful um, waterfall. Maybe it's through, you know, a mountaintop view that's really glorious. Maybe you kind of want to try and um, connect with God by doing, you know, good deeds, thinking if we can do enough good stuff, then God will notice us. Maybe it's through, you know, coming along to church, being baptised, um, taking communion, um, that kind of thing. <clears throat> Maybe it's by going to Keswick, the Keswick Convention, you know, worshipping with thousands of other people, going, doing a deep kind of feeling in our core. Or maybe you're sat here today and you're kind of, to be honest, thinking, Dan's talking a load of rubbish. You're fed up with religion. Um, you kind of think, we can't meet with God. Either God doesn't exist, or if he does exist, he's not interested in us. Maybe you're fed up with religion because you just see it as people abusing others using it to make money or something like that. Um, and if that's you, can I just say you're really welcome among us this morning. We don't take it for granted how big a deal it, it is um, for you to come to church. So we thank you um, for giving us um, a go this morning. <clears throat> Whoever we are, we may never have met with God, or we may have met with God before and we kind of just go through the motions. This morning, I hope that we will um, encounter some of the thrill that it is um, to be able to uh, meet with the living God. So let me pray that God would show himself to us as we um, look at his word this morning. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you so much for your word that you speak through and that your son whom you reveal yourself through. And we pray that you would again show us some of the wonder that we can know you and be your children. Amen. <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> sorry. If you do kind of think religion is just this kind of construct for like abusing people, well actually what gets you mad about religion get, got Jesus mad about it too. So look at verse 14 
Hopefully it'll be on the screens because I forgot to put the Bibles out, so that's my bad. Sorry about that. But verse 14, this is what happens. In the temple courts, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So he walks in, he finds people buying and selling, and he's angry. He's angry because these people are stopping people meet with God. They're getting in the way. He's angry because these people are using God to line their own pockets. And so he starts doing some weaving. I don't know what you expect Jesus to weave. Maybe you kind of expect him to weave like a friendship band or something like that. But he keeps going, doesn't he? And he makes this really long whip. This is not Jesus kind of meek and mild as we might like to imagine him. But this is Jesus wielding a whip. Jesus hates people getting in the way of others meeting God. Jesus hates people making money out of God. And I wonder what you kind of think. What would it be like to be there with Jesus? Well, it wouldn't be an entirely comfortable experience, would it? I guess it makes us wonder, maybe following Jesus, maybe meeting with God isn't an entirely comfortable experience either. And interestingly, that is exactly what the Old Testament kind of says. So hundreds of years before Jesus came, this incident in John, when Jesus turns up to the temple, is prophesied, it's spoken about. So Malachi um, 3, Malachi 3 starts this way, Malachi 3 verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. That was John the Baptist. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Who can stand on the day of his coming? Meeting with God is not a comfortable um, experience. Who can stand before him? Here we have our next picture on the slide. Um, 1966 was the year when England hosted and won the World Cup, wasn't it? The only time we've ever managed to do it. But um, Bobby Moore was the captain of the team. And as he goes up to collect the trophy, you've probably heard this before, But as he goes up to collect the trophy, he suddenly starts getting quite worried. He's worried because he looks at the queen who's holding the trophy and she's wearing these pristine white gloves. And then he looks down at his hands and his hands are full of Wembley mud. So you see him, he's scraping it on the parapet. He's wiping it on his shorts. He goes up to the queen. He's worried. What can he do? What can he do to make himself clean? This is going to be an uncomfortable experience. And that's kind of like us. You know, after a few years of playing this kind of game of life, this dirty game of life here on earth, we have more than just mud um, on our hands. Malachi 3, 2. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. Who can meet with God? Who has clean hands? who's never hurt somebody else? Who of us has a clean mouth that's never said something to tear another person down? Who of us has a clean heart that's always loved God more than anything else in our lives? And that's why the Jewish people here had had the animals in the temple. 
those animals, they kind of hope would be a bit like Bobby Moore's shorts, you know, something that they could like wipe the dirt off onto the animal. Then the animal could die and take it away, get rid of their guilt and cleanse them. But here, Jesus gets rid of all the animals, doesn't he? He's saying that that doesn't work, which is good news, isn't it? If you've got pet Flopsy, you don't need to go home and kill her. But, but the thing is, the animals, they can't cleanse us. They can't get us clean. And I guess we probably don't kill animals to, very often, but um, it's a sign, isn't it, for us that actually there's nothing we can do, no sacrifice that we can make to cleanse us. You know, money, that's pretty precious, isn't it, for us? If we were to give all our money away, it couldn't cleanse us because God's the one who gave us the money in the first place. Or if we spent our whole life doing good to others, used up all our time and energy to serve other people, we couldn't earn forgiveness because God's the one that's given us our time and energy in the first place. We can't save ourselves. We can't cleanse ourselves. We can't make up for the wrong um, that we have done. But what if there was somebody else who could? What if there is somebody else who could rescue us, um, who could save us, who could cleanse us and take us to be with God? As we despair of being able to rescue ourselves, um, let's have another look at Jesus um, here in the temple. He's come. He's come as to judge the temple, hasn't he? He's kind of done his Indiana Jones trick and like, cleared everybody out. Um, and the religious leaders are annoyed. They come to him and they say this. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? They're kind of saying, who do you think you are? And look at Jesus, what he says. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And on first reading, we kind of think, gosh, Jesus, you know, that's not really a great comeback. The temple was magnificent. Okay, it was one of the ancient wonders of the world. It was huge and beautiful. It had taken over a thousand masons to build just their sanctuary. The religious leaders also don't think it's much of an answer. Verse 19, verse 20, sorry. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? It's kind of a put down. And Jesus actually has nothing to say in response. To everybody that looks on, it looks like Jesus has lost the argument. The religious leaders have shamed him. But the problem is they've got the wrong temple. So verse 21, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. They'd misunderstood. They thought that he was speaking about the temple behind them, the magnificent building, but he was actually speaking about the weak person um, in front of them. They got the wrong temple. We're going we're gonna to play a little video now. Very brief. Thanks. It's Wallace and Gromit quality. There we go. That was just a little, um, what's the word? I guess a little 
way into my head. You know, I'm thinking, wrong trousers, wrong temple. That's the connection, nothing much more than that. But um, just as they got the wrong trousers, led him in the wrong direction, didn't they? Wrong temple, led them in the wrong direction. There you go. Um, just for me to relive my youth, Wallace and Gromit, quality film. Um, but the thing was, they got the wrong temple. The temple was the place where you could go and meet with God. And Jesus says, it's not there, it's here. He says, I am the temple. He says, if you want to meet with God, um, you've got to come um, to me. But the thing is, um, how? How is Jesus the place where we can meet with God? What has he done? How can he deal with all our mess? Um, well, look at verse um, 17. His disciples remembered, it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus has got rid of all the animals in the temple because that's not the sacrifice that's going to work. The sacrifice that's going to work is himself. Zeal for your house will consume me. He is going to be consumed. His love for people and wanting them to be able to meet with God is going to destroy him. So actually this whole little picture of the temple is a story in miniature of what's going to happen three years later. Um, on a cross outside Jerusalem. Three years later, once again, the religious leaders will come to Jesus and say, who do you think you are? They'll say, you are, um, you are trying to write checks that you can't cash, claiming to be God when you're not. And once again, he'll be publicly shamed before everybody as he spat on, whips, beaten and crucified. And once again, the disciples won't back him, but will disappear. They'll run away and deny they even know him. Jesus is going to be strung up on a cross um, and stuck like a pig. And it will look like he's lost. It will look like he dies. He's all alone. He's been shamed. But three days later, he rises again and it changes everything. Verse 21. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And they believed the scripture and the words Jesus had spoken three days afterwards shame is turned to worship as Jesus beats death and as he shows us that he's the one that can beat our death and as he shows us he's the only one who can help us uh, meet with God so Jesus death on the cross is not a defeat um, but is actually a sacrifice zeal consumed him he longed for a pure temple he longed for a pure people who could meet with a holy God. And so on the cross, he took the sin, the shame, he took the dirt from our hands so that he might cleanse us. And on the cross, he carried our wrong down, down into death, where he destroyed it forever. Three days later, he rose again triumphant, showing us that our sin has been dealt with, it's been paid, and there's nothing left for us to pay. In Jesus, we are cleansed. In Jesus, we can meet with God. And it's amazing news. It is the best news um, ever in the world. But if you're anything like me, there is a danger that it can become old news. There's a saying, isn't there, that familiarity breeds contempt. And I think we can kind of get used to the idea of being able to meet with God, and we don't really see it as very special. So here's kind of two suggestions of a way, if, if that's you, if you're like me, two ways that maybe you could recapture um, some of the wonder of being able to meet with God. And the first is just remember who God is. Um, think about how majestic he is. 
If you were going to be able to meet your favourite celebrity, you know, I don't know who it would be for you, but your favourite celebrity, imagine they arranged to meet up with you. You'd be pretty pumped, wouldn't you? You'd be really excited. You'd probably plan what you were going to say, what you were going to ask, what you are going to do, um, and you'd definitely turn up. Well, God is so much more special than a celebrity, isn't he? He's, he's more exclusive. He is exclusive. There is only one of him. He is eternal. He is the Ancient of Days. He made the heavens and the earth. He made you and he made me. He controls everything. Meeting with him um, is far more amazing than being able to meet with anyone else. And Jesus as well alone can satisfy us. Later on in John's Gospel, we're going to get to a scene where Jesus meets um, a woman at the well. And the woman comes. She comes thirsty. She comes broken. She comes full of pain. She comes tired. And this is what Jesus says to her. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. So pain, tiredness, brokenness, but Jesus can satisfy. There's a verse in Psalm 81, Psalm 81, 10 says this, Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. As we take our hunger to God, our thirst, he is saying that he can fill it. I wonder if sometimes we don't find Jesus to be as satisfying as he is because we don't come to him with our hunger and with our need. So first, remember who he is, and then second, um, remember who we are. Um, We're broken and messed up people, aren't we, if we're honest? If you're anything like me, you are anyway. Um, If you look inside your heart, if I look inside my heart, well, I see that I am more part of the problem of this world than part of the solution. If I was taken to the perfect place, perfect world, and dropped there, I'd ruin it. And if you're anything like me, and the same is true for you, the only solution we have is Jesus, isn't it? The only way that we can be part of the solution of this world is because God's mercy has reached down to us. So there you go. There's just a couple of ideas of ways to try and recapture some of the wonder. Jesus has come so that we can meet with God. Though we are small, though we are broken, though we are dirty, we can meet with the amazing, holy, majestic, beautiful um, God of all the world. Um, But there's just one last thing we need to see, and that is that we can only meet with him on his terms. So there's a little incident just after the temple, which I'm going to read to you now. Verse 23. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. And we think, great, that's good. But look at verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. So many believe, many are following Jesus, but it turns out they're following the wrong Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them, does he? And I think the problem here is actually the same to those that were selling animals and stuff in the temple at the beginning. The problem with these people is they want to use Jesus for their own ends. We don't know what it was. Maybe, maybe they want Jesus to get rid of the religious leaders so they could be the leaders. Maybe they want um, an excuse to be angry or something like that. But they want to use Jesus uh, for their own ends. They're not going to come to him um, on his terms. And I suppose there are ways that we can try and manipulate God, aren't there? We've mentioned some of them already. But we can, you know, do some good things and we think, now God, you owe me one. Or we can... Um, come along to church 
we can take communion, we can do this stuff and we can think, God's pretty lucky to have me on the team. But, it's, but if we're going to be saved by Jesus, if we're going to meet with God, we have to come to him on his terms to say there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, that we are desperate and needy. We have to turn to God and say, um, please have mercy on us. And I think we often talk about kind of saying sorry to God, don't we, when we begin the Christian life. But actually the whole Christian life is marked by saying sorry again and again because we're constantly turning away from God, turning away and trying to save ourselves by our own efforts, trying to um, compare ourselves with other people and look down on someone else because we feel um, we're more spiritually mature. So the whole of the Christian life is marked by a turning back to Jesus um, and saying sorry Sorry to him for what we've done and following him. Let me wrap up. Zeal for your house will consume me, is what Jesus fulfills here. Jesus loves us so much that he's consumed that so that we might be able to meet with God. Zeal for your house consumes us. He is destroyed so we might live with God forever um, in paradise. <laughs> but we're only saved if we give up trying to save ourselves and instead give ourselves wholly to him and wholly to his agenda and for our lives. As we've done the past few weeks, we've got some questions that pop up on the screen um, in a moment. I'm going to pray and then we'll leave some time for silence and then um, the band will pop back up and we'll sing our next song. Um, but let me pray for us um, to finish. Father God, we thank you so much that we can meet with you and we pray that you would show us more of yourselves, that we might be amazed at you. Amen.